you need to do the Roth conversion before December 31st, 2023, if you want it for 2023 taxes. And I want to remind all of you out there, our listeners far and wide, if you have an IRA LLC, a 401k LLC, any type of LLC owned by your retirement account, and then all those other entities you own individually, all of them have to comply with this report. And it starts January 1st and you have all year to get it done. But if you don't, the penalty is $500 per day and up to two years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Directed IRA podcast with yours truly Mark Kohler and the amazing Matt Sorensen. Happy holidays. This is our last podcast of the year. Yeah. For those of you watching on video, Mark is playing game show host after this. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Where did that come from? I, I, it's amazing. See, red and black jacket he's got he roped going on today. Me. He roped dope. <laughs> I wore my red dinner jacket. I thought it's Christmas. That's I was being Christmas. festive. Matt yeah. did not do a wardrobe change. I... I respect the show. I respect you, the listener, enough to do a wardrobe change. Yeah. Meanwhile, I, all the employees went with ugly Christmas sweaters today. And then Mark shows up and schools oh. him with his jacket. And he's like, got you. Yeah. So now I'm a, I'm a game show host. I got an ugly sweater contest. I'm, You know, the, you're just jealous. You're just jealous. That's what's you're going just, on. He's got a lot of swag going on over yeah, there. I can't. I got to compete with this. Yeah, this, this masculinity is just... It's just steaming over there on you. Yeah. All right. Well, we do got some amazing we've got. questions. Wait, let's get our grammar. We've got. We have. We have. Should we do that? Let's do okay. we have. Yes. I, I like know. that. There no. are questions we are going to give answers. answers to yes, yes. in today's podcast. I just That's... wanted you to sound really smart there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let, you know. it's, you're, it's coming through with your wardrobe. Do I get a jacket if I can get the grammar right here? Yeah. <laughs> Just like the masters. When you get on a jacket, you get smarter. <laughs> I get a jacket, I join the club. All right, enough of the jackets. All right, let's get to the questions. All right, there's a lot of awesome questions in here about self-directing your retirement accounts. Surprisingly, we've got a bunch of Roth conversion questions coming in here at year end, which I love. And I'm just <laughs> going to go right to question number one. I got solo 401k Roth conversion. This is Felix from Mississippi. Barn burner. It's a good one. This is a good one. Let's start off with this. Hi, Matt and Mark. I have a question regarding conversion to Roth for our solo 401k. My wife and I, wife and I both have our solo K account with no investment activity yet. We would like to convert them to Roth 100% of the account value for 2023. I believe with our self-rental COSEG credit, we will either zero out or keep our tax bracket at the same. Gosh, I'm loving this question. I know. That's why I said we've been listening to my show. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. I'm loving it. Do we have to file the conversion before investing, taking a loan? Question mark. Second, is the guidance for employer contribution portion to be Roth out for us yet? Okay. Well, wow, everything was going great to those last two questions. Yeah. Let me let me just say on the Roth conversion, I think the, the wording here might be a little off. Um, you need to do the Roth conversion before December 31st, 2023, yes. if you want it for 2023 taxes. So if you're taking this cost seg on, on the self-rental, trying to zero out taxes, that's going to be on your 2023 return, presumably. So we want the Roth conversion done by December 31st, 2023. Now you indicated you don't have investment activity yet. I presume you've made the contributions to the account and maybe you're converting some of the traditional dollars to Roth, which would cause a Roth conversion. I'm unsure there on the facts, but, um, but here's the bottom line. Let me make sure everybody understands the principle. When you do a Roth conversion, 
you pay tax on the amount you convert from traditional to Roth. Whether it's employer or yours. Whether it's employee contribution or employer contribution, doesn't matter. You pay tax on the converted amount. So if you convert hundred grand from traditional to Roth, your account, spouse account, doesn't matter. You're going to have 100000 coming in taxable income on your 1040, on your personal return. This is why Mark's been out there preaching. And what he's doing right now is the self-rental, well, doing cost seg on the short-term yeah. rental. You could, yeah. We're going to be doing self-rental next year, actually, ourselves too. But, um, but that is going to give you a loss that you don't have to be a real estate professional or not, can come over and offset this Roth conversion. Yep. So, but- this needs to get lined up in 2023. You need to do the Roth conversion in 2023. I know your contribution deadline isn't until 2024, but for conversion purposes, you need to have this done by year end. Okay. Now the part that kind of got my eyes rolling, and if you were watching the video, if you're just listening, I was being very dramatic, is that he said, do we need to file a conversion before investing or taking a loan? Now, if you're talking about investing in the Roth itself, I love it. Don't yeah, invest yeah. it yet. Get that conversion done before you make one more dollar. Do it right away. But before investing, taking a loan, that kind of implies you may still be working on that self-rental situation, or I mean that short-term rental situation. I'm assuming the way you phrased the question, um, the fact pattern, you'd already completed or embarked on and have a short-term rental yeah. in your personal life already underway in a cost seg. That does you need to take that cost seg in the same year that you do the conversion. So if you haven't opened the doors on your short-term rental enough to take a cost seg in 23, but you're going to do it in Q1 of 24, then do your conversion in Q1 of 24. You're not going to offset anything if you do the conversion in 23 and then do the short-term rental in 24. So you want mm -hmm. those two, if that's your strategy. I don't know what bracket you're in and other strategies, but if you're trying yeah. to align those two, they yeah. have to happen in the same year. Yeah, and so this is like cart before the horse sometimes things. Yeah. It'd be nice to get it all in the same year. And like Mark said, it would make zero sense to do the Roth conversion in 2023 and then the cost seg short-term rental strategy in 2024. But you could do the cost seg short-term rental in 2023, carry it forward into 2024 if you don't get your crap together and do the Roth conversion or no? Well, it, it sounds like they were- I'm not saying that's option one. I'm yeah. just saying that's like- <laughs> Well, yeah. If you, you know, let's say this, if, if there's nothing wrong with getting that short-term rental cost seg done and take it as soon as you're able. But the way you phrased your fact pattern, you already have other income. You're already in a tax bracket already. So it sounds like if you did the cost seg short-term rental, all it's going to do is save you on your income already in 23. And when you get into 24 and do the conversion, you could still be in a higher bracket. You got to look at your brackets. And yeah. yeah, so there's some great planning opportunities here. You got about 10 days, 15 days at most. Um, well, and I like guess 11 four days, Four business right? days, you yeah. know, <laughs> two by the time you yeah. hear this podcast. So you need to meet with a tax advisor if you're and run some numbers and convert, confirm this, your strategy. If you don't have a tax advisor you believe in, you could probably get in with one of our tax attorneys maybe by the 31st. They are filling up. This year in planning is so critical. We also have our tax pro network at markjkohler.com. And we need to have links everywhere for the tax yeah. pro network. But um, right now it's just at markjkohler.com. And you could probably get a tax pro to help you with a quick consult and get a second opinion on this. Love it. Okay. Now sticking with the short-term rental topic, ironically, we have a question from Chris uh, that says, uh, reads, VRBO is charging my guests 
state, county, and town taxes in Arizona. So they have a short-term rental, and VRBO, similar to Airbnb, is charging the guests state, county, and town taxes. Uh, is this right? And if not, how can I fix it? Calling them is like talking to a wall. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, you call any tax jurisdictional authority, you're, you're not going to have a, a fun conversation or a rewarding customer service experience usually. Bless their heart. A lot of federal and state employees are trying to do their best, but it's it's a tough it's a tough situation. Let me just say this on, from several angles. VRBO is charging your guests. That's not you, your guests. They're paying the tax. So, I mean, that's nice. You're trying to carry the torch for your guests and trying to get them out of this tax, but they're paying it, not you. That's point number one. Number two, yes, this is right. <laughs> county, state, and <laughs> county and states and cities, local jurisdictions are trying to tax the hell out of these little you know, short-term rentals because they're not getting the rev from the hotels uh, when yeah. independent owners go out and do this. So they're yeah, absolutely, these taxes are uh, very common, and and that's okay because again, your tenant is paying it, not you. Yeah. Now. You, it does force you to be more competitive in your pricing. I get that, but it is what it is, and you can't fix it. Quit calling them. Save yourself the breath. Yeah, write your state legislator if you really care. But um, also, have you read your hotel bill? Have you ever read a bill at the hotel when you're like, <laughs> you booked this place for two ninety nine a night, and yet you get the bill and it's like five hundred dollars? You're like, how'd that add up? It's all these damn taxes because the state, the county, the city, everybody wants their little tax out of this thing. So, um, and in the hotel industry, this is you know this is what you love. This is how taxes develop in our country. The hotel industry is all bent about this. So what do they do? They don't ask to not have taxes. They say, well, why don't you tax all the short-term rentals the same as you tax us? And what do you think the government said when they heard that? Great but idea. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> Let's go tax them. Oh, okay. oh That's how gosh. we make this fair. Okay. <laughs> all right. Shirley's got a question. Shirley from Illinois says, love the podcast. Learn so much from your show. She's got two questions. Shirley, I'm going to give you one of the two because I had a not sure on the second, but question one, she said, I'm interested in setting up a solo 401k. What tax do employer and employee need to pay on the company match for solo 401k? Do I need to pay self-employment tax on the company match as employer and employee? Okay, great question. Um, Surely, when you're setting up the solo 401k and you're making employee contributions, there will be the self-employment tax happening on that. That's off of the salary that's occurring. But the match is an expense of the company. The match is typically traditional. Now I know you can do Roth in 2023. I'm going to come back to that, but that's an expense to the company. Now that's not causing more or less payroll. So it doesn't get into self-employment tax. Remember that's really only on what's on the W2 itself. The the match is coming from company profits. It's a function of how large your W-2 is. You can do up to 25% of your W-2. So let me give an example. You have a $100,000 W-2. You put in the 22500 maximum employee contribution. Well, surely you're paying self-employment tax on the $100,000 W-2. It doesn't matter what you put in as an employee contribution. You're twenty two five. I mean, you're, you already paid self-employment tax on that. Will you take salary and keep it or you put it in the 401k? It doesn't matter. Same thing on the match. 25% of that 100K could be the match, the employer contribution, which is $25,000. So that whole $47,500 you put in, 
frankly, self-employment tax doesn't matter. It's, yeah. that's, that's a function of how large is your W-2, of course. So now I get it. Some clients are like, well, I want to keep my W-2 as low as possible. Hence the sweet spot. Very hence, difficult to find. Hence this for some. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know. Damn it. I, did, I would come back. Got you got you me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> taking the lower salary. The lower to salary. Get the sweet spot okay. on FICA. Uh, FICA. And the, I, and max, that's what I, I was talking that, about was right. the sweet spot with payroll. And, right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I don't yes. Know. Yeah. I got it. Okay. okay so, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay. Let's say you want to take only a $30,000 W-2. All right. So, again, 22005 That's employee contribution. But now you're only doing 25% of Thirty as the employer contribution. You're like, well, I want to get more in. Well, you've got to dial your W-2 up more. And the more you go up on your W-2, the more self-employment tax you yeah. got to pay. So that's where this does come into play. And I, what I like to do is start with what W-2 are you required to take? That That's the starting point. Yeah. And and because you're going to, there's a bare minimum there. And uh, we've got lots of strategies on that. You can lower that amount through your insurance, uh, health insurance payments through an HSA contributed out of your company rather than you as an individual. So you can show a higher W-2 with lower FICA it, with a couple little strategies, but start there. Then go, hmm, is am I getting the bang for my buck with my 401k? And you may choose to put a little bit more in, uh, but you've got your bare minimum. Start there and then uh, work backwards to your 401k that you really want to build. All righty. Now, this uh, question from Dennis, I'm going to frame it a little uh, here. Uh, at the end of his question, he says, we have an account with self-directed. We have a solo 401k with checkbook control. Love what we're doing. Have a revocable trust, an S-corp. But their question is really not related to self-directing. But I think it, it's an important one that anybody here listening to the show, you're an investor. You're an investor if you're listening to the show. And you should be investing in your own name as well as in retirement accounts. And so I, I I think this is a great question to field. So Dennis says, I'm considering purchasing a multifamily home as an individual outside of retirement account investment using a new mortgage product, 5% down, one to four units, but one must be a personal residence. First of all, if this is not a new mortgage product, the person selling you it is told you it is, but this is just a a residential loan that's up to a four unit scenario. They're, they've just tried to, keep it sexy. So 5% down, fourplex, you're living yeah. in one of them, it's residential loan. So you're, you're, uh, personal residence loan. So it, it's cool, whatever. Okay. What are the considerations, pros, cons, do's, don'ts for the methods to purchase and under which entity? I will not be living in the new property for at least a year. Okay. Now that's a twist as we are currently renting a house and we want to stay in it. All right. Well, let's First, talk about just buying a multifamily unit re rental property. Love it. You're going to set up a new LLC for that. Typically, a multifamily or a multi-unit is going to be at a price point that it may deserve its own LLC. Now, if you have two or three fourplexes or a couple other single-family homes nearby already in an LLC, you might pop this one in there too. <laughs> Remember, it's not the quantity of properties in an LLC. It's the quality and the equity involved. So, Anyway, you may set up a new LLC or just pop it in an LLC you already have with some other rentals. Because he does say we have a mix of long and short-term rentals already. So this could just go into one of those other LLCs you have going. I, pros, cons, 
I, I don't know many cons about buying quality rental property that cash flows. It, that's what I assume you're doing is buying a quality rental that you've already vetted uh, financially. So I'm. It, it, that's a whole other conversation, I guess. I think buying rental properties every year is a huge part of what successful people do. And I see it every, every day. Now, there is a note here. I will not be living in it for at least a year as we currently are renting a house we want to stay in. Hold it. Didn't you just say at the beginning you were signing a mortgage application that you were going to live in one of the units? <laughs> they typically, that means after the day you purchase it. So I have to forewarn you that you could be committing mortgage fraud by lying on a mortgage application and not saying doing what you're saying you're going to do in that mortgage app. So some people play that game. They may go, oh yeah, we're going to sleep in it for a few nights in a sleeping bag. Okay, that you lived in it. Um, how long you need to live there, where you're going to be at that. Just make sure you understand the exposure of telling lenders what you they want to hear just to get a, a mortgage product. It's true. Once you start paying the bill, they've sold the mortgage three times and don't care generally, but you also don't want to be lying on documents like this. So, um, but I, I love where you're headed, Matt. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. So great question. Um, all right. We got a question here from Jenny in Washington and um, oh I my grew gosh. up in Washington. I, I'm a Washington state Seahawk fan. So just want to yeah. point that out. Uh, Seahawks won this week against the Eagles. Bam! That was a big win. Fun game. And uh, since I grew up in the Northwest, I do believe in, yes, Bigfoot. So just want to throw that down. Thank uh, you. You bought me some time. Because, damn, Jenny, this is a long question. Okay. I like right. it, though. I like the question. Okay. I'm going to open it up, too. I'll, I'll, I'll get your back. I'm okay. your wingman. I'm your wingman. All right. You got me. Okay. okay. Jenny says, I want to use my self-directed Roth IRA to invest in a business. My IRA would purchase shares as a limited partner of a holding company, LLC, and the holding company LLC is paying cash for an existing business formed as an LLC in Texas and operating primarily in Louisiana <laughs> and possibly in Texas. I reside in Washington state. Wow. Anything else are we going to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I'm fine here. In the Middle East. Yeah, it's okay. not too tricky. We got a Roth IRA, basically owning a holding company. The holding company owns a com business in Texas. While the purchase of the business by the holding company will be in cash, the existing business is long-term and short-term debt. The intent is to grow the business and sell it for five to 10 X multiple in five years. Capital to grow the business may come from cash, from additional equity raises, or additional debt. I expect early K-1s to report net loss. By the way, a lot of these facts she's dropping out are important to the question here, so I'm, that's why I'm reading it. A lot of times you guys give us facts that are totally worthless, <laughs> and we skip them, but these Was that matter. your inside voice? Did you just say that yeah, about our listeners? I was just, uh, I was oh just telling them for those that have like tuned out already to the facts. I'm telling you, these are important. Okay, all right. All right. All right. I, she says, I expect K-1s to report early net losses. Can losses be carried forward to future years when K-1s will, will have net income in order to offset UBIT? Mm, good thinking. For any K-1 business income, will both UBIT and UDFI need to be paid or only UBIT? If the company is sold for a large multiple, what I assume... I would assume a majority of this sale would be allocated to long-term capital gains and not subject to UBIT. All right, let me stop there because you got a number of other questions here. All right, this is a really, really important question for two reasons. When you're investing in a private business that is not a C corporation, that's not a corporate, like when you buy a public company stock with your IRA, it's Apple or Microsoft, there's all these exceptions to this tax called UBIT because they're paying corporate tax, right? But when you're investing in an operating business that's selling goods or services like an LLC, your IRA can have this UBIT tax. It's a whole chapter in my book. We've got separate podcast episodes on this. And Jenny knows and is asking the right questions about this. Now, here's when it matters. When 
Jenny gets her K-1 for the year, and it shows net income in box one on the K-1 to her IRA that's positive. That's going to cause UBIT. Now, for Jenny, she's saying, hey, the goal is to try and grow this thing over five years and sell it for a multiple of what we bought it for, and Jenny's Roth IRA being one of other investors. But when she gets her K-1, if they have net losses on this, there's no UBIT. UBIT's only on net gain on the K-1. So if you have got a loss on that thing, we're going to use that and we're going to keep carrying it forward to what your other question here was to use to offset future K-1s that have net income. So this could be a situation, Jenny, where the early years, there's net losses. Those net losses offset later years gains on your K-1s. And then you sell the business and you sell your LLC ownership, the Roth IRA owns, and you just get capital gain treatment and you pay no UBIT tax. And no UDFI, even if there's debt in the business? No UDFI because UDFI is only for debt used to acquire an asset. If the company mm. has lines of credit and stuff for operating expenses Love and stuff that. like that, that's not for asset acquisition. So, and she says that they're, the company is being bought for cash, that the, the business has existing long-term and short-term debt. But the the to buy the asset, the LLC ownership to buy the business, is coming out with cash. Mm. So I see no UDFI in there either. If they get new debt... To expand the business, that would not trigger UDFI either? I think if it can kind of be considered operating capital type stuff, no, it would not be considered because it's not acquiring an asset. But if it's, it's for growth of operations. Yes. Now, if this business were to let's say it's a restaurant, we don't know what the business is, says we're going to buy a building in this 5X expansion over the next three years or five years, and they go buy a building with debt. Yeah. Then that debt would trigger some UDFI because it acquired an asset in an expansion. Yeah. Or but, they or they bought another restaurant business with you debt. know with yeah. debt where they they put so, you know 20% of the cash in to buy and they got a loan for the balance. Yeah. Yes. But here's the thing too. Who cares? You just 10x your investment. This is what drives me crazy is some people are like, well, I might have UDFI, so I'm not gonna do it. What's your overall rate of return? You want to go get an ETF and get 6% on some crappy mutual fund? Knock yourself out. You want to 10X your income in five years on this investment? Even if you do have a little UDFI, sign me up. So, but you could, you could, you just, we don't yeah. know how the expansion's yeah. going to go. And then Jenny asked one other question here, and this is a little deep, but this is very good. Jenny, you're asking the excellent, you're asking the right question. Oh, you're thinking you got about Matt all fired up I here. do. I'm Jenny, we got, I, I want to high five you. I like this question. She says, can I, at a later date, change the IRA ownership from shares in the holding company LLC to shares in a C-corp that owns the shares in the holding company and therefore put the blocker corporation into effect? Ooh, great question. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would do, Jenny. Have a, If this is a significant investment you think that you're going to make that's going to pay off in this way and you're worried about you, but like I said, in the facts here, I don't see it. I think you're good. But if you do feel like you're going to have you, but... One thing you can do is you can have the Roth IRA own an LLC 100%, and I would just have this be its own LLC that you're not going to do anything else in. That LLC buys the shares in the holding company. Now, if three years down the road, you're like, we're cash flow in this business, and I'm just holding this thing, and I'm getting UBIT every year and getting crushed, you can add a C-Corp blocker to your own IRA LLC, and that way you're paying corporate tax there before it hits the Roth IRA. Great tax strategy. You're paying 21% instead of 39 um, which is the UBIT tax rate. So that's how you could kind of flexibly add in the blocker corp structure. Like I said, based on your facts here, I don't think you need to do that. And you're you're trying to make money on the sale of the asset at the end, not from cash flow in the business. So I probably wouldn't use it in your scenario anyways. But that's just a little okay. idea. All right. And first name again? Jenny. Jenny. Now, you want to go next level, Jenny? And those are great questions. But 
I don't know if I'd use the strategy you're using. First of all, if there's going to be UDFI in any way, shape, or form, a 401k is exempt from that. Now, you got the UD, you got the UBIT on the operational. That's going to always be paid. But maybe at some point you want to, if you have a solo 401k, and this is an IRA, you could roll that into. Did she say mm, here's why I didn't go down that. Let me say because why it's I didn't. it's a Roth IRA. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. No yeah. Mind. If it wasn't a Roth IRA, yeah. correcting myself, you could roll it into a 401k and get around the UDFI. That yes. was going to be your answer, right? And I would say because this is buying a business. Remember, the UDFI exception for solo 401ks is for real property only. Mm. So she's not buying real estate with the retirement. She's buying a. They're buying a business, which if that had debt to acquire the business, that would the solo K would still have to pay it. Yeah. Now, if they, again, the, by the way, guys, we are deep in the tax code. Yeah. Yeah. That's for anyone holding, hanging in. Um, and, uh, I know some of you love this. And I also was going to say for others that converting to a Roth before you do this big investment would be super powerful. And you've already done that. So it's already a Roth. So those are some next level considerations. A 401k could play a role because again, this expansion that you're talking about, this 10 X growth, are they going to be buying real estate in that operational business where the 401k could maybe benefit? Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, sticking with debt for a moment, kind of a different angle. This is Dave in Texas. He says, I know an IRA LLC has to get a non-recourse loan. Okay. So everybody, let's get on the same page. Your IRA, Roth or traditional, forms an LLC and you want to go buy a rental property. Love it. It has to be a non-recourse loan, meaning you could have good credit, bad credit, doesn't matter because you're not signing on the loan. All the lenders looking at is the equity in the property and cash flow in the LLC. And you could, there's banks that'll loan all day long to retirement accounts. Love it. But he says, is it possible for the LLC to use existing equity in a property that IRA LLC already owns to go get some money in a HELOC? a first lien HELOC and uh, exponentially finance passive property even further. So the example would be, so you have this IRA LLC that bought a rental two or three years ago. Now it's doubled in value. There's some equity sitting there and you're going to go buy another rental property. So you put some money into that IRA LLC and you're looking to buy another rental property and you're like, holy crap, I could buy two of them. If I go out and refinance the first property or maybe that first property is paid off and I can go get a HELOC on it, get dig up some other cash, including a contribution, including another. Yes, yes. The answer is yes, you can do all of it as long as it's always a non-recourse loan. There are first position HELOCs on an IRA owned property that are non-recourse. Just talk to the lender and say, I got this property paid for. In my IRA LLC, can I get a HELOC on it, a first position, to go buy more property? And that's very doable. It depends on the lender. But as long as it's a non-recourse, green light. So, Love it. All right. I got some questions from YouTube that we want to hit here. Um, this question was from Biz Joanna. It says, do the FinCEN requirements apply to self-directed IRA LLCs? 
Yes, this new BOI report from FinCEN is going to be required on your IRA LLCs. So for any of you self-directed investors that have a checkbook IRA or an IRA LLC, you are going to need to do the BOI, business owner information report that needs to get filed in FinCEN. This starts January 1st of 2024. We'll be helping our clients at KQS Lawyers. And if we're doing your company compliance at Main Street Business Services, we handle this for you. But IRA LLCs are not exempt. Remember, on this BOI, you have to list anyone who is a manager most IRA LLCs, you're the manager. So we got to list that person as someone that has substantial authority for the business and anyone that owns 25% or more. Well, that's your IRA. The underlying beneficial of your IRA, because the IRS looks through all these things, is you. You're the beneficial owner of your IRA while you're living. <laughs> and so that you're going to get reported twice, essentially, on this BOI report as the manager and as the underlying owner of the IRA itself, which is the direct owner of the LLC. So yes, you're going to need to do it, unfortunately, for your IRA LLCs. But the good news is we're here at KQS Lawyers and at Main Street Business Services. We're going to be helping all of our clients get through this and get in compliance next year. Okay. Well, I this um, may be my last question. All I know right. you've got a couple more yep. for YouTube. So I'll grab one more. Okay. This so one. this is a good one, and I'm going to give my answer, and then, Matt, you may – Correct me. I always love it. Like I say, I always learn something from Matt in these open forums. He's okay. just the, the goat on this. Uh, Ellie uh, says, hey, guys, self-directed IRA LLC. Great. I made a private loan to another investor secured by a first position mortgage. Smart. We don't want to ever do just signature loans out of our retirement accounts. So Ellie got a lien against a f- property in first position. Love you. Now the storm clouds have come much overdue. The demand letter with, uh, did not pay off, uh, suggested even a deed in lieu brought no, uh, action. And the LLC is now required to go foreclose on the property. You're going to, you're, which is okay. You're going to get a property here in first position and, and someone in a second or third position may cash you out. If not, you're going to get a property that's worth more than your loan. That's the, the plan here. But her question is, uh, can I pay for those foreclosure expenses personally? And she says, I've heard Matt provide IRS citation in the past that you can self-pay for admin expenses and attorney fees. But I think that may only be for setup and maintenance. Yeah. And I would uh, thank you for replying. Yes, my new LLC custodian in 2024 is going to be directed IRA. So thank well, you, uh, Ellie. The answer is you're, I'm going to say you're correct. Uh, it's only for admin and attorney fees. Your LLC is going to have to pay the foreclosure cost of the attorney to go in and get, save this loan and re, you know, get the property. Yeah. Uh, would you agree? Yeah. That's section 4975 D10 where this exemption resides. You're amazing. <laughs> yeah. For administrative. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not so hot <laughs> uh, for administrative legal tax expenses uh, or tax planning and advice for your retirement account. But this is for the administration of the account, not for the assets and enforcing rights and responsibilities on assets that retirement account owns. So for example, if you call up us at KKLS Lawyers, like, hey, how does this Roth conversion work? Hey, how do I take a distribution of the asset? Hey, how can I self-direct? What are the rules on that? Even the IRA establishing an LLC, which is kind of an administrative thing for your retirement account and a benefit. But once it gets into, oh, my IRA owns a rental property and I got a, or my IRA owns a, has a loan on a property, I got to foreclose. That's kind of an asset expense, which the retirement account should bear. You can't cover it personally. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Last question. 
This one's from YouTube and is from Green46087. 46087. Man. All right. Um, oh, by the way, someone was at self-directed. That's a great handle. Your question was crappy, but um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Being rough on our listeners. Sorry. Today. Right. Actually, at self-directed, your question was good. That was just, I'm skipping it though. We'll get that next week. All right. Says the green says, Hey guys, nice video. I have a question. I'm interested in having two different Roth IRAs, one that I can invest in real estate and another one where I can trade options and would be interested in knowing if I can transfer some. Okay, great. You could do this. There's a couple options on how to do this. Option one is self-directed IRA at directed IRA, which of course, where you can do real estate, LLCs, all this self-directing type stuff, and just have a brokerage IRA. Wherever you want to do the brokerage trading, you're at TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, wherever you might be doing it already now, you can transfer between those accounts whenever the heck you want. An unlimited amount of what are called trustee to trustee transfers. You're like, hey, I've got some money over my brokerage account. I want to go buy real estate. We submit a transfer request to your brokerage account at Charles Schwab, and they'll send us the money in a few days. Now it's in your – and so you can go back and forth with all that if you want, and a lot of clients do that. Option two, we now have a brokerage account option with TradeStation directly at Directed IRA. So your account at Directed IRA can own real estate, and it can have a brokerage account option. It costs you 100 bucks a year where you could have a trading account through TradeStation. Now we've got to fund the trading accounts. So there's still a little step here. We've got to send the money to the TradeStation and we've got to send money from TradeStation back to Directed when we want it, when you want to go buy real estate. But you could all have it housed at one account simply at Directed IRA. So those are the two routes you could go. Brokerage account at Directed IRA with your self-directed account added onto it or just maintain two separate accounts. Okay, now one last uh, tip point here I have is we turn the corner into 2024. People, you may have heard about the new sheriff in town called Finson, and that is going to be this BOI report that Matt referred to earlier. And I wanna remind all of you out there, our listeners far and wide, if you have an IRA LLC, a 401k LLC, any type of LLC owned by your retirement account, and then all those other entities you own individually, all of them have to comply with this report. And it starts January 1st, and you have all year to get it done. But if you don't, the penalty is $500 per day and up to two years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Not good. Now, you don't want to delay. You're going to be doing your company maintenance anyway. So I want to encourage you to get over to MainStreetBusinessServices.com. And we have our compliance service package, 200 bucks, 200 bucks. And we do your maintenance with the state. You get to do your minutes. You have us track all the digital documents throughout the year. Do your Finson report. And if you have any changes to the Finson report or any changes with the state, any little small things when we're doing the renewal, that's all included. So for 200 bucks, it's ease of peace of mind. It's easy. Get it done and sign up at MainStreetBusinessServices.com. You're going to need that taken care of. And our prices are even cheaper than LegalZoom in a variety of ways. We are trying to keep this very, very affordable. So yeah. we've been price checking our competitors, even the big behemoths out there. We're, we're right in there. So we can take care of you and you know it's done right. Yeah, and we're actually freaking real lawyers. We help us with an amazing team. And it's just MainStreetBusiness.com. You can go to either one, but MainStreetBusiness.com, you can get there and sign up, book a call right there. You can talk to one of our company compliance professionals and go over any questions you might have. Um, thank you to everyone who put in your questions, directedira.com slash podcast. That's where you can put in the questions for the directed IRA podcast. Lots of amazing questions in there, but we need more. 
Um, I appreciate all the questions you guys are throwing out on the YouTube channel. We're going to try and grab those too if we can and they're relevant. Um, but the best place, get to directiria.com slash podcast. See you next week. See you next year. Oh, Ooh. next year. Yeah. See Damn, that's like year. the ultimate dad joke. See you mm. next year <laughs> at the end of the year. You know? <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm going to have to use that one. See you then. <laughs>